Here we go. It's supposed to be electric. That's a- <laughs> it's time for some cheap talk. You're listening to Trick Chat. And with that music, you know you're listening to Cheap Talk with Trick Chat, the show about cheap trick, four swell guys and three great chords, right, BJ? Something like that. Something like that. Well... Welcome to this episode. We are discussing a great album, excellent album. Is, is it a great album? I think it's an excellent album. From Back from 1994, Woke Up with a Monster. 20 years old this year. Wow. Hard to believe, crazy. hard to believe, hard to believe. Isn't this the album that is almost universally thought of as a Cheap Trick's uh, low point or crappiest album? I don't think so. Not for me. To me, this was the comeback of the bounce. You know what I mean? Like, they, like, hit with Busted, meaning... I thought that everybody, when you read on all the reviews and Rick Nielsen, you know, that that was the kind of the running joke that woke up with a monster was the um, one that they were kind of embarrassed about. Really? That's so sad. I would think it's the doctor more than anything, but... uh, Yeah. Yeah. To me, this was the return to form. It starts here. I actually, well, you haven't introduced me yet, so I'm going to shut up. All right. And joining us, as usual, is BJ. Say hi, BJ. Hello there. And the wonderful Michael Butler returning to the show. How are you doing, sir? Hi, I'm super great. Couldn't be better. Thanks for asking. Thank you for having me on the show again. It's it's an honor to be here among such esteemed company. (laughs) Even us guys. Yeah, especially yeah. you guys. B.J. Yeah. Cramp, the all-knowing Oracle, and Ken Mills. One heck of a stepdad. Yes. <laughs> Ken Mills. <laughs> what can you say? He's Ken Mills. Anyway, so I was saying that Woke Up With a Monster was, to me, a return to form. What do you think about that? I actually love this album. It is one of my favorite albums. I, I kind of... Uh, passed it aside until I started listening to it to, re- to prepare for the show and I'm thinking to myself why is everybody why do people not like this album this album is really good mm-hmm. so I kind of 
change my mind and think that this album is is really good. And it it does mark the return of Cheap Trick. I think there is like two um, eras of Cheap Trick. I guess you could call it the the epic years and then the post epic years. This is the first album of the post-Epic Records era of Cheap Trick. And also the last album of the Robin Zander not wearing a hat era of Cheap Trick. Because everything after this album, I think you always saw Robin Zander wearing a hat. Which I think Robin Zander kind of needs a new stylist. And his, some, I don't know who styles him, but I saw... The, I saw Robin Zander's band at Slim's in San Francisco a few months ago. It was a fantastic show, by the way. But whoever dressed him needs to, uh, needs to, I don't know, dress him different. Because he kind of dresses, whoever dresses him doesn't do a great job. He kind of looks, yeah, just dress normal, Robin. You don't have to look like that. Well, you know, Robin's even wearing a hat on the back. Uh, back cover of this album but then on the gatefold uh, picture he's not but i would think even more significantly this was the beginning of rick's facial hair yeah the go period which i yeah i was i did not like rick's facial hair or robin's hats i didn't like the hat well see when they were doing all the live performances stuff for this album you always saw robin wearing his no hat he was that his hair would be showing Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think he's really self-conscious about thinning hair or something. Yeah, but he shouldn't be. He looks fine. It's crazy. Well, this was the time period where he would wear giant hats like that looked like he was Nikolai Volkov, you know, <laughs> or he was at Gorky Park. The Dream Police hat. Come on, take it. Well, that's... Stop wearing it. Well, the one that kills me, he's got that really like it looks like something like Willy Wonka would wear. It's the the re- or a Batman villain, the yeah. really huge uh, top hat. It's, it's yeah, black, and, and it the, also from, in the the jackets buttoned the, the the Liberace jacket buttoned up to the collar has got to mm. go too, man. I'm expecting him to get a Grand Poobah hat from the Flintstones. There Remember you go. The, had the horns and the, the fur. Well, you know, when Rick finally shaved the facial hair off, it was like Kiss putting the makeup back on for me. <laughs> but I remember. I remember when they did the first three albums, and I was really wishing that Rick would have shaved and that Robin would take the hats off, and that you know they would kind of try to look at least you know Rick would put a sweater on, and just, especially when they were doing the first three albums, I was really wishing they would have at least put a little thought into maybe going with more of a classic look. Mm-hmm. But uh, but this was also the... I I could do without the sunglasses on stage, as well in an inside venue. But isn't that every time. rock star? Isn't that what? Isn't that like every rock star? I mean, it's it, to me. There's nothing less rock than wearing sunglasses on stage, unless you're Ian Hunter. Uh, if you're not Ian yeah. Hunter, you should not be wearing sunglasses inside on stage. It's it's it doesn't. It's not a good look to me. Another thing about this album is no vinyl. This is this was the period when vinyl was completely out, basically. And uh, but the, if you look at the um, CD booklet, it still has like a gatefold picture of the mm. band where you've got. Robin and Tom on one side and Rick and Bunny on the other and it's a, like a classic Rick's wearing a sweater and Bunny's cleaning his glasses and it's a great picture that definitely and you know, homage back to the old days yeah har- harkens back to the old days I love that picture and it would have been great if it was a gatefold vinyl but it's still you, set up it's still set up the same way what do you think of the album cover the front cover with the clown and the girl. Well, I think it's horrible. <laughs> it has to be the worst album cover they ever had. I like and, it. And the the uh, the new logo was a terrible idea, in my yeah. opinion. Uh, yeah, the new logo 
looked like it was designed in 1994, if that makes sense. They, the new logo could be considered bad luck since this album tanked right out of the gate. Right. It was a bad choice, that's for sure. And I think, I mean, the album cover is ridiculous. I like the and album the font cover. of the album title is terrible. Yeah, the whole... I like the picture. To me, the though. art like direction the... is horrendous. Well, the fonts and the fonts and the lettering are not good, but I like the album cover. It kind of makes you wonder which one is the monster. Yeah, which one's the scarier <laughs> one? And who is the clown on the cover? Does anybody know? No, no, just some clown. I remember we Do asked. Do you really Bunny. know that? Could could it be somebody in the band? We asked Bunny once, and he said that it was just some actor dude, some some guy that they, you know, the post for the shot. And I like that it's a fat chick. So, so I, I'm pretty sure that they, they made it like this, so you question which one's a monster. Yeah, but see, I wouldn't fat call fat. that fat. I would call that uh, robust. Okay. As opposed to anorexic. So, yeah. I like the album cover. So I would rather uh, make time with her than the clown. Eh, not necessarily. All well, right. you know, you got that going for you. Anyway, so we're, we're just not crazy about the cover. I like it. Yeah, well, BJ and I aren't, but to me, it, it doesn't it doesn't scream cheap trick. Yeah, they should change the logo's no good, but I like the picture on the cover. Would you have liked it better if the classic logo would have been there, even if it would have been like distorted in some way, or you know, because that that logo is amazing. You don't mess with perfection. I agree. I some who po did you see somebody just posted on the Facebook <laughs> them on a on a show called The Watcher? Did you see that? Oh yeah. That was great, man. They were called what was the name of the pandemonium? Yeah, pandemonium. And they had the, they used the cheap trick font yeah. for the t-shirts. It was great. I never saw that episode, that footage, and it was really good. If anybody, if if no one has seen it, look for I don't know. Just do a Google search for cheap trick the watcher. It's quite entertaining. I think Robin Zander does a good acting job on it. Mm-hmm. And it's on YouTube, and we'll put it in this show discussion on Facebook. So there you go. Well, after a three-year hiatus, Cheap Trick have come roaring back with a, well, a monster of a new record. Woke Up With A Monster contains all original material and finds the band doing what they have always done best, combining elements of pop, modern music, and hot-wired rock and roll that have defied comparison for over 15 years. Wow. Once again, folks, there's a monster on the loose, and it is Cheap Trick. And, and woo and joining us in our Rockline studios in New York tonight are all four members of the band, lead vocalist. Was that an, was that an intro? That was an intro. Oh. There you go. Holy <laughs> That's cow. what we call a setup. But, Holy. Uh, well, we better leave now after all that good stuff. <laughs> that was Rick Nielsen, of course. Rick, how you doing? Uh, fair to partly cloudy. Very good. Robin Zander on lead vocals. Hello, hey. hello. And, of course, on bass, Tom Peterson. Hey, Tom. Hi, I'm fine, too. And on uh, percussion, of, as always, Bun E. Carlos. Hey, Bun E. Hey, yo. Yeah. Glad to have you guys with us, and we're uh, particularly excited tonight because not only do we get uh, to have a chance to talk to you and have the listeners call in and ask some questions, but you're going to play not one but several songs live tonight exclusively on Rockline. That's going to be some fun. Uh, Rick, let me ask you first here. Woke yes, Up With A Monster is, mm -hmm. is your first record with Warner Brothers. Yes. It's your first record with producer Ted Templeman. Yes. How would you compare the feeling among the four of you going into recording this album and, say, the recording of your very first album in in 77? Uh, I think this is kind of similar, the fact that, uh, you know, it's like all songs, pretty much internal songs, and it's a pretty straight rock record. It's uh, um, 
guitars, bass, drums, and a and a hot vocalist. You know, that's the what we do best. No keyboards. No. We try to make it. You know, so we could actually go out and duplicate every song live, as opposed to being stuck on some big production. Right. Robin, uh, as we mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, the album is is all original material by the band. The sound is certainly, as Rick alluded to, is vintage Cheap Trick. Was that a deliberate, conscious decision when you went in to record this record to to really have it turn out this way? Um, I think not on our parts, but I think on Ted Templeman's part it was because uh, he allowed us to go in and record the songs and do what we do the best and not color it with a bunch of production techniques. You know, yeah. we sort of fell into that trap on some of our previous albums, but uh, we wanted he, to do he jazz, let us do, actually. He let us do our <laughs> own record. So this is the first. Warner Brothers album. First and last Warner Brothers album, right? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of a weird revolving door. How did that all work out? BJ, I know you asked uh, Mike Hayes about Ted Templeman being involved with the album and if that helped them get uh, aligned with this record label. What did he say? Yeah, he said it was basically Ted Templeman and Lenny Waronker that made the deal happen. I would, I know Ted Templeman was uh, probably a bigwig big in the A&R department at Warner Brothers at the time, I would guess that mainly it was Ted Templeman that probably made the, put the deal together. Obviously, they only had one album with Warner Brothers because they sold about 10 copies of the record, I think. I mean, it just was not a success. I think and I was number eight. What? This is, I think I was number eight, the eighth guy that bought it. Yeah. This is the first album that he ever did for Cheap Trick. or It's actually the only one, but right? Is it the only album? Yeah. I interviewed him on the Rock and Roll Geek Show, and he was set to do, I think he was set to do Rockford, or is either Rockford or the Red Ant albums. And apparently he got, we already went through this before, but he had a falling out with, with Rick, I think. But I think he does a great job on this album. I think the production is fantastic on this album. I don't have a problem with the production. For the most part, it's really good, yeah. Do you think they approached him to do this album, or he approached them? Does he, do you know anything about I would that, bet, I would guess he approached them. I would guess he. it probably came from him trying to get them signed. Mm. It was, you know, he was probably got them signed and producing. Those probably went hand in hand, I, I would guess. He was working with a lot of Warner Brothers acts at the time. He was yeah, probably I mean, the one of the Warner Brothers producers, right? Cause he was, do, uh, was Van Halen on Warner Brothers? Yeah. Yeah, he did. He was doing the Van Halen Bullet Boys. I think they were a Warner Brothers record. Uh, yeah, yeah. And he, he did had, that. He had done bo- the second and third Bullet Boys albums right before this. Well, he guess he did the first two, the first one. But yeah, I think the the last thing he did before Woke Up with the Monster was the third Bullet Boys album. Hmm. Well, I would guess he wanted to produce the band, wanted them to get signed to Warner Brothers. That all went together, package deal, probably. You know. And whoever the A&R guy was at Warner Brothers, hopefully he got fired after this imagine. album because the, the, the amount of promotion done for this album is borderline most lazy A&R job of all time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and if you look at the 1994, like the week this album came out, the top two records on Billboard were Soundgarden and... Nine Inch Nails. So, okay. I mean, for the the time that this record came out, and you know, I this morning I edited the Wikipedia page for this album because I was so annoyed by it. Because to me, this album doesn't try at all to be grunge or alternative <laughs> rock, 
and yet uh, whoever wrote the Wikipedia page called said they were trying. It was uh, their grunge album and all this bullshit. Yeah, that's written like from an idiot. Yeah, uh, to me they didn't. Tr- they didn't try that at all. Um, obviously, it was a shift away from busted, but everyone knows that the sound of la- the adult contemporary thing they tried in Lap of Luxury and Busted was basically forced on them by the record label. And this record just sounds like cheap trick. It Do doesn't fa- sound like them trying to be alternative at all. This album reminds me a lot of Red Ant record, which I was pleasantly surprised because I had kind of, I had kind of shrugged this album off because I thought, you know, I've heard I had heard Rick Rick Nielsen say he really, didn't really like this album very much and all that, and I kind of shrugged it off. And but then I, when I went and listened to it, like I said before, I went and listened to it now, which is this is almost as good as the Red Ant album or special one, and those are two of my favorite Cheat Trick albums. So this mm-hmm. one is up there with for me now. Yeah, this I is don't just, understand. It's a straight-ahead rock record with a couple of really good ballads. It's just a classic-sounding Cheap Trick album. Uh, which, it doesn't sound you know, anything it's a, like it's, it's a real relief that they didn't try to fit in with the atmosphere of 1994 and make an alternative album. And that to see somebody write on Wikipedia that it's their grunge album just drove me nuts. Yeah, it's an idiotic statement. <clears throat> well, they're, they're, the, the song Woke Up With A Monster reminded me of another song that came out around that time which to me when I heard that song it made me think well these guys are trying to sound like Cheap Trick there was a band called the Toadies yeah I played with the Toadies when I did a show with Ginger from the Waterhouse we did some shows with the Toadies which I like that band actually mm-hmm. but I would love to and hear the Toadies Cheap are Trick. Cheap Trick fans they're huge Cheap Trick fans so. well who isn't exactly I always heard I'm losing you in this song, you know the John Lennon song that uh, Rick little and Buddy bit, played little on. Bit. Possum Kingdom. Let me hear. Yeah, yeah. Here, yeah. here, here. Yes. That. Yeah. Oh, it's because it's got the little guitar thing. Make up your yeah. mind. Robin could kill the fish. Decide to walk with me around the lake. Sound tonight. like uh, Buddy's drums. Around. Late tonight by my side. That part. Yeah, that part. And then later, make up your mind. And he starts screaming like Robin. What, and it's, it's, what, that album came out the same year as Walker with a Monster Act. I know, I know. But I remember people saying, well, this sounds like Cheap Tricks trying to do that song with Woke Up With a Monster. And I'm like, no, no, it's the other way around. I don't know. I don't know which came first, but who cares? Well, yeah, but to me, both of those songs sound like they could come off a 70s Cheap Trick album. Yeah, Woke Up With A Monster sounds very much like Cheap Trick, even though you could, you could, I could understand somebody who doesn't know Cheap Trick very well thinking that it's them trying to make an alternative song, but yeah, but the thing is, if you look at alternative rock, so many of those bands were hugely influenced by Cheap Trick. Mm -hmm. So... You know, and cheap, and that's the thing. Cheap Trick were are the one band that could straddle like every genre there ever was in rock and roll, and they could fit in with all of it. Right. And so, yeah, there there always was an alternative element to Cheap Trick because they weren't like anything else. How you doing? I'm very very excited to have these uh, folks with us. I have not worked with our next guests. Since we recorded the live at Budokan album back in the 70s, right? We were on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I had no, no idea. 
Yeah, clarinet. <clears throat> Tonight they're uh, joining our band, the CBS Orchestra, to perform the title track from their brand new CD right here, Woke Up With A Monster. Ladies and gentlemen, get ready for real TV fun. Cheap trick, folks. is an album by Cheap Trick released on Warner Brothers Records in 1994. It was their first and only album for the label. It peaked at the U.S. charts at number 123. The boost in sales is often accredited to the group's appearance on Late Show with David Letterman to promote the album. By is that a boost in sales? 123 is a boost in sales? You know, that sentence, I, I edited that out of Wikipedia this morning. <laughs> oh, see it's, how still, you it's still there. <laughs> it's still there. Yeah. It is? Yeah. Weren't fast yeah, they probably didn't change. approve my edits. Yeah. There you Fuckers. go. Pending, pending legislation. Anyway, did you have you seen that that performance on Late Show with David Letterman? Oh, it's killer. Yeah, the they did mix on that. Do. Yeah, the mix on that is great. They sound amazing, so yeah. massive. Yeah, it's amazing, and we will be playing it later. But uh, whoever wrote that boost in sales line was an idiot because I don't know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> I would like to know the entire, uh, the all the the numbers, final numbers of sales. Is that on? Is that on the Wikipedia? I don't think so. Not that I'm seeing. Well, it it was the highest it charted was 123, and I think it was in the top 200 for two I weeks. I wonder how many copies it has actually sold to date. People have said that the style of the music is more on the grunge side due to oh, Ted Templeman's much criticized heavy-handed production. Ted Templeman's a grunge producer? That's, That's such bullcrap. It is. It's garbage. So you I know. don't know who yes, wrote this, but they don't know what the fuck they're talking Haley about. Run, man. Exactly. Come on. Yeah. Rick Nielsen grew a once trademark goatee, and Robin Zander's voice also grew noticeably That's deeper. again bullshit. His voice is not deeper on this album. His voice is no. fantastic. Yeah, that's idiotic statement as well. Shortly after the album's release, Cheap Trick was dropped from Warner Brothers' label. Oh, that's true. It contains songs co-written with Jim Peterick, Julian Raymond, Todd Kearney, or Cerny, and Mark Spiro. There were two. Yeah, they left out Terry Reid from that part. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, my my edits are not showing oh. up yet. God, God damn it! See you all. I want to do, but I'm wondering if Terry Reid actually sat in and co-wrote, or if there, or if there's if a part of the song a, that yeah, sounds like a Terry. That's Reed probably part. what they did. That's probably no. I have a quote from Rick about that. Okay, all right. Wait well, till we well get let's get, let's yeah. get on it. Okay. So side one, 
my gang. Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, please give a warm Yokohama welcome for Cheap Trash! Butler, what do you think of my gang? If this were the opening track of the new Cheap Trick album that's coming out whenever, the fans would go ape shit over mm-hmm. this song. This is a great tune. I love this song. Excellent. BJ, your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I agree. Great song. Classic sounding Cheap Trick song. Um, absolutely love the bridge. Read about it. Never fails part. Uh, I think the song has a real like ACDC vibe, especially mm-hmm. on the verses. Um, but it's yeah, it's a just like a snarky classic cheap trick song. It's, it's a great amazing. rocker and it's catchy as hell. Yeah, I think that uh, ACDC would kick ass with this. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It was written by Tom Peterson, Robin Zander, and Rick Nielsen. Yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty good opening track. Though myself, I would have rather liked to have had "Woke Up with a Monster" for the opening track. 
Any thoughts I on that? I disagree with you. Now, why? I don't think Woke Up With A Monster is a hook, has enough hooks in it to be the opening song of the album. I think Woke Up With A Monster, well, we'll get to Woke Up With A Monster, yeah. but I don't, think, I don't think Woke Up With A Monster would be a good opening track. Maybe opening of Side 2 if it were vinyl. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think My Gang is 10 times better song. I agree. I agree. I'm more than 10 times. I think it's way yes. better. Head, head and shoulders above Woke Up With A Monster. Wait, I agree. This is my second favorite song on the record, probably. Second or third favorite song. Wow. Yeah, it definitely ranks up there, yeah. But I agree. If this was the opening track of a new album, people wouldn't have anything to complain about. See, I don't understand how after Busted and Getting Lost in that Chasing a Hit kind of era, that... I kind of question whether they were actually chasing a hit with this album. No, no, no. I mean that coming off of the flame and busted and the what I call the chasing a hit era, if you will. um, Outside songwriters era. Exactly. Yeah. That this is like to me a real return to form. Like I could put this album right up there with one on one or yeah, the beginning of the artistic resurgence of Cheap Trick along with Red Ant and Special One and rest of those well and think about it if you took my gang and put it on really any other cheap trick album it would would stand up it would would stand up it it, yeah it would it wouldn't stand out as being as not sounding like it's a classic cheap trick song and it would it would go on almost any cheap trick album well let's let's, there's certainly nothing grunge about it no there's not (laughs) um which which album do you think it would fit the best on an album recorded (laughs) prior to this let's say you know which prior yeah uh, you could totally put it on one-on-one. Or I think so, too. You could Perfect. put it on Standing on the Edge. You could put it on mm-hmm. In Color. I think you could put it on any of the records. It wouldn't sound unusual I in that context. It, I think In Color and the first one have a little bit more of an innocence about them to yeah. me uh, for this song. I think this song is a little bit more of a mature-sounding Cheap Trick song. But still, I, yeah, I think maybe Next Vision, please. One-on-one, it would be a good... It would fit Excellent. well. And All Shook Up, probably. Not, probably not. But one-on-one, I think it would, it would fit well on. Yeah, that's that, that kind of like right the she's tight too. and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, great call, great call. Well, well, yeah, I have a I have a quote from Robin from Mike Hayes' book where he said he compares the record the one on one. Well, he says, he says I think the record is harder edged than our last two, which you know talk about stating the obvious. Yeah, really. <laughs> you know, and, uh, he says sort of going back to the first and maybe one on one records, but looking to the future too. Which I think is a pretty good description of the album overall. Um, well, they could, definitely were looking towards the future. Could the album title be a description of fans' express fans or, or people's uh, first impression of the album because it's, because the last couple albums were lighter albums? So, like you, you know, here's here's what you well, thought. Cheap was not what I was expecting. And then, boom, you you wind up with a harder edge cheap trick. Speaking of harder edge, I always thought it was Rick Nielsen referring to Morningwood. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, let's move on to that track. The comedic stylings of BJ. <laughs> yeah. Woke up with a monster. I think that this song is better than My Gang. I didn't want to say that while we were discussing My Gang, but to me, this is my favorite song. Well, one of my two favorite songs on the album. To me, this is just a great perfect cheap trick song i remember uh there were a few people that were like wow did you see cheap trick on letterman i didn't know they were that hard and i'm like you don't know cheap trick though what are your thoughts michael on woke up with a monster i think it was a mistake of the record label to make this the first single 
I think you're all I want to do. That was the single, right? You're all want to. Am I right, BJ? You're all I want to do was the second single. Yeah. Yeah. I think Welcome with the Monster is not a strong first single. I like the tune, decent song. I love the guitar riff, and I love the answer back. You know, the guitar, all the to toadies, the thing that they ripped off from the toadies. So they say. <laughs> I love that part, but I don't think it is a it is a first single, in my opinion. It's not hook filled enough, and it's not classic cheap trick enough. But I like the song. So, what do you I, think was the strategy in the label's mind or whoever was doing it? I don't it? think they paid attention. I don't think they gave a crap. I think they probably just they probably put them this record out as probably a favor to Ted Templeman. He probably refused to produce another record or something. I don't know. There was probably some negotiations with Ted Templeman, and I don't think Warner Brothers really gave a crap. They just threw the record out there. And I think it's also the most alternative sounding song. And because you yeah, know, probably people who fit work with for record time. labels are yeah. idiots. Oh, it's got to fit with the times, the grunge. Right. But I like the song. It's, it's, not my, it's not even in my top five songs in the album, I don't think. But I like the song. Decent song. This, uh, I, like I said, this album, I like the entire album. BJ, your thoughts? I think it's a cool song. It's atmospheric and moody and you know cleverly constructed, but I think it's missing a great hook on the chorus. The chorus especially just doesn't really do it for me. And yeah, I agree it was a terrible choice for a single, um, but I think it just was the time period. Um, I would rank it at bottom three or four songs on the record for me. Wow. Very Again? far from my favorite. Again, if I want, if a, a good way to think about all these songs is think about each song individually on the next Cheap Trick record, how how the fans would react if this song was on the next Cheap Trick record, and I think if this song, having never heard it before, was on the new Cheap Trick record coming out whenever, I think fans would love it. Well, I would say that uh, this song being one of my least favorites on the album is really just a testament to how good the album is. Right. Um, yeah. Not right. not this this song is fine with me, but I just think it's one it's. I think more than half the album is better, in my opinion. I like more than half the songs on the record quite a bit more than this song. And vocals are fantastic. Of course, yeah. Oh my God, yes. Yeah, it's a cool song. It's a, it's a, and once again, like I say, it's the most alternative sounding, I guess, but it sounds just like Cheap Trick. It sounds like Cheap Trick. It doesn't sound like they're trying to be anything else. You well, know. Could, could you I think that the band the... probably enjoyed playing this song. It's probably a fun one to play. Oh my God, yeah. yeah. Could you guys hear this on the first album? No. Really? See, I, I don't think, think I so. could. I think I could. Well, it just doesn't have a hook. <laughs> but, uh, you know, <clears throat> to me... It's not pop enough to me for the first yeah. album. It's but, a very dark-sounding song. And but, that's, no. that's, that's to me why I say it could be on the it's, first album. But it's, it's just not put together the same way as their early songs. It's yeah. uh, Neither power pop enough or punk rock enough. Yeah, right. Our next track... You're All I Want to Do, speaking of excellent songs. Now, this one has, you know, My Gang was the first song that you could have used to describe the amount of co-writers on this track. We've got Rick Nielsen, Tom Peterson, Robert Zander, Jay Pederick, Jay Raymond. Jim Peterick. And, uh, Jim Peterick? Mm-hmm. He was the main songwriter in Survivor. He's like the main guy behind Survivor. Ah. Yeah, and Jay Raymond is Julian Raymond, who works with Cheat Trick now. I think he's doing their new album, actually. He worked with, with he album. worked on Rockford and the latest. Yeah, Julian Raymond. Julian Raymond's a, is a um, has been in the Cheap Trick camp for a long time. I think he even played keyboards with them sometimes, off and on. And Terry Reed, and Terry Reed has a bit of history with the band, right, BJ? 
yeah, well, uh, Speak Now or Forever Hold Your Peace is a cover yes. of a song from Terry Reed's second album. Um, in Mike Hayes' book, Rick says that Terry Reed wrote one of the verse, the lyrics for one of the verses of this There you song. go. So did they take it from a Terry Reed song, or did he come in and, and give them these, the, the verse? That I don't know. I... Maybe they, maybe they were trying. Maybe Rick was trying to write with Terry Reed, and uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of co- there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen on this song, but it sure turned out great. So yeah, this is a this is a fun one to just pick up the guitar and play and sing. Yeah, this, al- this song is fantastic. Absolutely. I wish they bring this song back to their live set. Yeah, this is good as just about any cheap trick song out there to me. Yeah, I think it's spectacular. I think it's spectacular song. What a, it, I would say it's one of my favorite songs the band ever recorded. I think it, the the melody on the verse is just as great as the melody on the chorus. The bridge is great. Yeah. I love this song. It's it's from from note one. It's good. It's catchy as hell from start to finish. You're all I want to do. Let's uh, see. That was a song written. Uh, it was written in Chicago. That song, You're All I Want to Do. I uh, wrote it with a friend of mine. And then uh, after that, then uh, I wrote it with another friend of mine. And then after that, I wrote it with another friend, Robin Sander. And then another friend of ours, uh, Terry Reed, who was uh, who wrote a song on our very first record. Uh, uh, and actually, he was going to be the lead singer for Led Zeppelin. He gave uh, Jimmy Page the phone number of Robert Plant. And uh, that's about, uh, there's five songwriters on there. No wonder it's a good song. You got lots of stuff. Lots the writers here's cheap trick with their new single you're all i want to do
Yeah, I think it, this clearly should have been the first single with a big push. Uh, screw alternative rock. Just, you know, get this song on the radio. It probably wouldn't have been a hit in 1994, but clearly a very strong single in any era. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful song. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, how would this song, where would you put this in an earlier album if you were to... Does it does it this apply to this one or? I think different production, it could have fit on the first two albums. Hmm. BJ, this is a really poppy, hooky song. Um, so it could have probably fit more on Lap of Luxury, probably. Yeah, sure. I mean, if this were it would on really Lap of Luxury, stood out on there. <laughs> it would have been one of the best songs on that album. Yeah, it. I think it's kind of a, it's just a time. It's a timeless cheap trick song. Yeah, it is. Rick Nielsen would probably say it's kind of um, stock or or standard songwriting chord progression. Give me but this still anytime. still super catchy. Anytime. Cheap Trick doing this kind of thing, it's awesome. Yeah, can't go wrong with these three chords. Mm-hmm. Our next track is Never Run Out of Love, another strong song. And that's written by Rick and... Mr. Peterick again. How do you say it? I think it's Peterick, but Peterick, I could be wrong. Peterick from Survivor again. What do you think of this song, Michael Butler? Uh, it's not one of my favorites. I like the first line of the song. From there, it kind of doesn't, to me, it doesn't really go anywhere. Decent enough song. Again, if it was on the new Cheap Trick album, I'd probably like it. Mm-hmm. Not crazy about the Brit. I think it's better than any song on Lap of Luxury, probably. Catchy enough tune, but not one of my favorites. <clears throat> BJ? I like it a lot. I think it's one of those songs where the first time you hear it, it seems like you've already heard it before. Yeah. It's just kind of a classic song. Maybe a little obvious, I don't know, but I like it a lot. Yeah, it's weird because it, to me the song starts out really strong, and then it's like they shift it into a lower gear. And it just drops. And then later they pick it back up. But to me, the song suffers for that part where it drops down. Not crazy about the subject matter. Never run out of love. They don't please come back, baby. I'm not, I don't really like the songs where they're begging your ex-girlfriend to come back. Well, it'll never work because she's dating me. So She'll think you're a pussy if you beg her to come back. That's right. still a, a good fourth song this is a pretty good album side so far. yes when Great. i was listening to this album and when i got to the fourth song i'm going what the hell this album how could i this album is so good mm-hmm. 
and it seems like it's just dropped by fans, and I don't understand why. This is one of their better albums, if you ask me. It's not perfect. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that. It's I don't I don't I think it it needs more love. So Cheap Trick fans love it up. Our next track is Didn't Know I Had It, track five, written by Todd Cerny and Rick Nielsen. BJ, your thoughts on this one? Great song. Uh, I think it's another one like Never Run Out of Love, where when you you hear it, it seems like you've heard it before because it's just such a classic song, very well done. And um, Todd Cerny, the guy that co-wrote it, he also co-wrote Let Go and Wrong Side of Love from Lap of Luxury. So they'd worked with him, but maybe this song even dates back, at least in um, its original incarnation, maybe it dates back to Lap of Luxury time period, I'm not sure, but I think it's a great song. I mean, you've got you've got five really strong songs right away on this album, in my opinion. Is this where we flip the album over? No, I think... Uh, Ride the Pony. Yeah, there's one more on side yeah. one here. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, let's... Uh, it, again, another another good song, keeping the momentum of the album going. Then we get to Ride the Pony, written by Robin Zander and Mark Spiro. I don't know what to think of this one, guys. This is where I kind of, you know, start losing it. Michael, your thoughts? Uh, when I first heard it, I didn't like it. I still could think it's kind of a throwaway from the, on the album. Don't really like the kind of disco beats, but um, I was listening to it when I was walking the dogs this morning, and it's kind of growing on me a little bit. I, I'm, I'm almost ashamed to say it's kind of growing on me, but it's not. It's probably the least least good song in the album. BJ? Well, I'm going to say it. No offense, Robin, but this is it, in my opinion, the worst Cheap Trick song ever. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, I think this is an embarrassing song, really. And there's a lot of stuff in yeah. Mike Hayes' book about um, the other guys in the band didn't like the song, but Robin and Ted Templeman together got it put on the album for some reason. Um, yeah, sometimes I, I question Robin Zander's... Um, musical taste and decision making sometimes in songs 
But this guy, I think this guy's one of those, like, the, the guy who wrote the song with him. What's his name? Mark Spiro. Mark Spiro. He's one of those guys who, I think, did those, like, 80s soundtrack. He wrote a lot of those kind of stuff, I think. So this is, like, the Top Gun kind of thing. Yeah, I think so, yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, I think, no, yeah. I don't. I don't. Th- I don't. I wouldn't. Dis- I don't know. I don't think of this song as. I think I he wrote. It. I think, is. as a matter of fact, that he co-wrote a song that's on the Top Gun soundtrack. That Cheap Trick song that's on Top Gun soundtrack. Mighty did Mark Spiro co-write Mighty Wings? I didn't research about that guy. I think he did. He wrote songs for John Waite's crappy era. I love John Waite, but he had he did have a crappy era, and I think he co-wrote with him. Co-wrote uh, Mighty Wings by Cheap Trick. There you go. Oh, there Boy, you go. Boy, it just smells Aunt like Aunt Murray, bad, I mean. bad English. Well, Jim let me Rankins. say, Mighty Wings is way better than Ride the Pony. Yeah. I, yeah. I Like I said, it's a grower. You listen to it. I, I'm, the chorus is kind of, I, I kind of like singing along to the chorus now. I don't know why. Because you have a lovely voice. There you go. I'm going to check it out right now. Yeah, this just sucks. Yeah, this is this is sexy. Robin Tanner trying to be sexy. Yeah, that that's just that's not good. Now, the it's pony. Embar- I, I think it's embarrassing. <laughs> you yeah, think it's it embarrassing? Is yeah, yeah. You know that this it is sounds like with, a top gun. To me, this song is one of the big problems with CDs as opposed to albums. Instead of this song being buried at the end of side one, it's stuck in the middle of the CD. Yeah. This yeah, which, could have been this could have been written around the same time that the other Top Gun Cheap Trick song. This could have been written for the Top Gun soundtrack, and they just had it left laying around. Yeah, could you imagine yeah. if the band would have dropped uh, Cold Turkey right here? Then it would have been better than this tune, probably. Oh, absolutely. Well, there's like they had that song "Don't Blame It on Love" um, that they could have put here, or I mean, they had a couple other demos that are a million times better than this song, but. Could have been throwing a bone to Robin Zander on this one. Yeah, definitely. And I guess, uh, for some reason, Ted Templeman uh, was a supporter of this song. So, <laughs> Wow. So you have such a strong side one, and then it coughs and sputters on this one. You have yeah. no choice but to either drop the needle back on my gang or flip it over. Speaking of flipping over, let's flip that album over. <laughs> So, we're here we are on side two, and we've got Girlfriends, written by Rick Nielsen, Tom Peterson, Robin Zander, and Bunny Carlos gets a co-write, so hurrah. Michael, your thoughts on the beginning of side two with Girlfriends? Almost exactly like Hot Love off the first album, right, BJ? Uh, yeah, I guess the riff the is, exa- part, riff is yeah. exactly the same. Yeah. Good rocker, I like the song, vocals are fantastic. I wish there was a more of a hook in the chorus, but still a good rock song. Put it on again. Put it on the new Cheap Trick record coming out whenever fans would love it. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna listen to a little bit of it. See, love right there. Yeah. Love if you want it. Very ACDC sound. Bad Boy Boogie. Yeah. It's Hot Love meets Bad Boy Boogie. Absolutely. Great. Great analysis. Love it. You nailed it. Perfect. 
BJ, your thoughts? Well, this song dates back to One on One um, when they recorded it as Don't Steal My Girlfriend, but it was a punkier song, you know, more a one-on-one style. And yeah, I think they've turned it into more of an ACDC sounding song on this record. Um, it's funny, they went with the plural, girlfriends, but I think that might have been like a last minute adjustment because Robin was still definitely thinking in the singular. Yeah. <laughs> Especially towards the end of the song, he keeps saying, she's all mine and I love her a lot. Mm-hmm. But but it's girlfriends, plural. I, I think it was kind of a Rick joke that maybe was a last minute thing um, but it would have been funnier if Robin was singing like "They're All Mine" and I love them a lot, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but well, he st- he kept it in the singular there, so. Yeah. Well, it's weird. Yeah, because... I, I like this song a lot. It's a great first song on side two type of song. Did you say this album did not come out on vinyl? Yeah, I don't think it. No, it never came out on vinyl. Okay. It would have been a great side opening track of side two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> We're 
I kind of wonder if Girlfriends was like the scratch title, like, you know, the, you know, they just write that down, just Girlfriends. Well, it was originally Don't Steal My Girlfriend, and, you know, Rick even had a sweater that said that back I, in the 80s. I and, always um, loved that. I thought that was so yeah. cool. Uh, and you do hear them say Don't Steal My Girlfriend a couple times in the background vocals mm-hmm. still on this. Yeah. I think the plural pluralization was kind of a last-minute kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing. Yeah, I'm guessing with Rick. Our next song, Let Her Go. Writers and publishers still pending? <laughs> what the hell? That means somebody didn't somebody refuses to let the Wikipedia page be updated. Ah. No, it's, it says that on the album and everything. Huh. Really? Yeah, I I can read a passage from Mike Hayes' book that sort of explains that Please here. Please do so, sir. You know what um, I love about B.J. Cramp? The guy does <clears throat> his research. He does. <laughs> yeah, this is Rick, I think, talking here. He says, Robin writes a song with Nick Graham, who co-wrote The Flame, when he was writing songs for his solo record. And so that, we didn't really talk about that, but right before this album was when Robin had made his solo album. Mm-hmm. Um, they make a demo of it, and he brings it to us. It doesn't get on his record, and we make a little demo of it in Rockford. I come up with the idea to demodulate the song at the end where the riff keeps going down. Instead of going up, it goes down. It goes from E down to a D. Brilliant. And then modulates from a D down to a C. Brilliant. Then, then we changed it around a little bit, and Ted Templeman likes it. Then we record it. While we are doing it, we get some lyrics from a guy that used to write lyrics from Procol Harum, Keith ah. Reeves. He called it Let It Roll, about a truck or something like that. <laughs> we just there laughed it off and didn't use it. We already had our stuff. Right before the record comes out, we get a call from Keith, and he says, Hey, I wrote that. I want credit ah, on the song. There you Wait go. a minute. That's not how it happens. All the artwork was done, and we had to redo it and take the credits off. And then Rick says, That's like me saying, I've got some new lyrics to a whiter shade of pale, therefore put my name on the record. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it was that Procol Harum guy wanted credit, and they didn't want to give it to him like for the principle of the thing or something and so and it's still pending and it was like the la- it was when the record was right about to come out and they had everything printed and yeah it was just then uh, the record tanked so nobody yeah so they never bothered to fix it because who cared <laughs> the I mean, royalties were pennies anyway didn't care either at that point yeah right <laughs> well you know what's sad is that this album really isn't available unless you find it used on CD anymore it's only available as an internet download Right. Well, if you find this on the cutout bins, buy it because it's wor- well worth your 99 cents. Absolutely. Which is my word of the day. Wow. It's so sad. <laughs> the unique stylings of Ken Mills yeah. again. It just makes me sad when an album goes out of print. I mean, show some love to this thing. God, let's. So, so BJ, what do you think of this song, the song Let Her Go? I like it a lot. I think it's really good. Uh, the chorus is stronger than the verse, I would say, but um, it's a good song. Obvious 12-string bass on this one, right? Beginning of it? Yeah, it, Tom doing the rhythm guitar and the bass at the same time. Yeah. Love it. How can you not like that? This would be a great one for them to put into the live set. It would. We're just going to listen to this for the next four minutes. No, I'm kidding. 
get it to the chorus. Take it up there. Let it roll. To That would definitely be an obscure one to pull out for the live set. Yeah. Probably would clear the room from the, for, except for the hardcore cheap trick fans. They would all go to the bath. Everybody, everybody except the hardcore fans would go to the bathroom. But At yeah, this point, it's like there... the big rock production on it yeah. too. I Absolutely. think that song is kind of a foreshadowing of the, what the 1997 album would be like. Mm-hmm. It seems to have a, a feel more towards that album. Yes. Yeah. Well, our next track is "Tell Me Everything," written by Tom Peterson. Robin Zander, Rick Nielsen, Michael McDonald. He came from somewhere back in the long ago. Said I'm at a four-door From the Doobie Brothers. From the Doobie Brothers. Who also, I probably he probably is in there because he was probably doing an album with with Ted Templeman at the same time or near uh, that time because Ted Templeman did a lot of his his solo stuff too, I think, and probably just brought him in. They were he was around and probably gave him a little tip on the song or something we're sitting in the room yeah or he might have went <laughs> but i'll bet bj has a has the real story and julian raymond so bj what's the story yeah rick says michael mcdonald made the lyrics darker and they and i oh, like the lyrics on this song but um i always knew I, michael mcdonald was a weirdo i think this is a great song but my criticism is I really disapprove of how they double tracked Robin's vocals. Mm. Um, I think if you let us hear the, like the delicacy in Robin's voice, it would have really perfectly suited this song. And I don't like, I don't like, I don't understand why they double tracked his vocals on this song. I don't think it works. It's a great <coughs> song, but according to the Wikipedia, this is Rick Nielsen's favorite song on the album. Yeah. So pardon me if 
I love this song. Love it. I absolutely love this tune, man. It has kind of a little Amer- little bit of an Americana feel. Mm-hmm. Put this on the new record, fans would go nuts. This song is great, man. I agree. Possibly my second favorite song on the album. Second or third favorite song. The next track, Cry Baby, with Tom Peterson, Rick Nielsen, and Robin Zander writing. Your thoughts, Michael, on Cry Baby? It's okay. Uh, the vocals are great. Uh, there's a guitar solo on it that's sh- absolutely shredding. He's, he's, but it's a little too jam sessiony for me. This tune, but I'll, it's a decent enough tune. Put it on the new Cheap Trick album. I'd still like it. Now, explain that jam sessiony thing. What do you mean? Work that out for me a little bit. When you listen to the song, it sounds like you know it's a little jammy. Yeah. Like, you know, they're just like freeform jazz exploration. Oh wow, man. Uh, but like. To me, it doesn't stand up as well as some of their other blues-type stuff because... Not blues, just jammy. Yeah, Just like going off on jams. Yeah, but to me, uh, this song sounds more bluesy than it should. Like, I always loved, like, when, uh, you know, Cheap Trick did, like, Can't Hold On. Like, to me, that's, that's, to me, Cheap Trick blues. This is more blues blues, if that makes sense. That makes sense. I agree with everything you your guys are saying. There isn't there yeah, there's an element to this song that is jammy or bluesy and I usually don't like this kind of song very much, but it's cheap trick. It's yeah. Robin Zander singing. It's Rick Nielsen having fun with the guitar yep. licks. 
So I think it's a really cool song. And normally, you know, another band doing this song, I wouldn't like it. Right. But and, Robin and put- singing, Rick noodling, I really like it. And if you listen to Robin's vocals on this song, this is what I'm talking about with Tell Me Everything, where mm-hmm. you don't need double tra- to double track Robin Zander's vocals. Right. I mean, he's amazing. And his vocals on this uh, this song are killer. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is it's almost like they said, well, let's let's try to do this in a blues style. Like, let's let's do that. I don't think they put that much thought into it. Really? But Rick Rick's little guitar licks are awesome. They're ripping. Songs. They're ripping. Yeah. It's possibly one of it's like, it's like they're super fast shredding in this. It's it's like a little bit of a departure from the way Rick usually does the solos. I think the last two songs on this album, they kind of bring the album down a little bit. I don't think the the placement of these two songs. I think they should have mixed these two within the album or put a different song. In. Well, not as bad as Ride the Pony. Let's be honest. Yeah, Ride the Pony's the worst, obviously. In my <laughs> yeah. I think Cry Baby would have been a good album closer. Yeah, I and disagree. just make it a ten-song album. Well, I see what you're saying, but I disagree that this should be the album closer. What would you put as the album closer? Album closer, I would put Tell Me Everything as the album closer. I would close the album with a beautiful song. Okay. And Tell Me Everything. That's the way I like to have albums closed, with like a beautiful, heartfelt, like heartbreaker song. And that's how Tell Tell Me Everything would have been good that way. I see where your point, though, you like to have that kind of jammy rocker at the end of an album. But I like the beauty at the end of of an album. Tell Me Everything was not released as a single, was it? Uh, I don't think so. No. There was only two, right? I mean, that should have been a single. And I would agree that's probably my third favorite song on the album. I and, don't... I mean, how do you have a song like that and not get try to get it on the radio? Agreed. But you can... I mean, I think we've said that in almost every podcast, every uh, one of these podcasts, mm-hmm. there's a song in the record where you're like, how was this not on the radio? But... Mm-hmm. Well, by the, time the, the, by the time the second single does nothing on radio, why right. bother? Well, yeah, so it should have been first single, You're All I Want to Do, again, second single, Tell again, Me Everything. Again, A&R Guy laziness. They didn't give a crap about this album. From They didn't give a crap about this album before it came out. They threw him a bone by putting him on David Letterman, and David Letterman, or Cheap Trick's management probably got him on Letterman, not the label. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Letterman didn't get to well, just, on the yeah, show. Everyone at Letterman yeah. was probably fans. My, yeah. my point is the label probably did almost nothing mm-hmm. for this album. Yeah, they did. They didn't. 
the label probably did the artwork and the cheap trick didn't even probably have any any input in the artwork who knows i hope they didn't (laughs) i hope they didn't have any input in the artwork again i I like the clown and the fat chick i like it (laughs) our next track love me for a minute what are your thoughts bj on this one it's a decent song but I really strongly disagree with some of the percussion choices. Duran Duran sounding, huh? <laughs> but yeah. uh, this yeah. uh, was written in the studio, and I think this is filler. Um, written in the studio, uh, but, you know, make a 10-song album and have Crybaby yeah. be the uh-huh. last I mean, the song. Album's, the album's 49 minutes. It could have been 10 minutes shorter. They could have cut out Crybaby and Love Me For A Minute. Or, but and, I, would, I would obviously cut Ride the Pony instead of Love Me For A Minute. But, I, but you know, this was the only song, it says in the book, written in the studio. And I think it was definitely, you know, we need another song. Let's write one kind of thing, which is never really going to be a good thing. Used... Vocals are still fantastic on this song. Of oh, course, yeah. 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 But, that's, the, that's but yeah, a... the percussion is ridiculous and uh, kind of rude. Duran Duran. Yeah. I just... I wish Cold Turkey would have been on this album. What about the outtakes? I mean, there's there's some outtakes. Could they have been put on the album? Are they Don't better blame songs? Don't it on love. All those years later, re-recorded for the 2006 album Rockford. says that there were several singles woke up with a monster which went to number 16 on u.s mainstream rock you're all i want to do backed with crybaby and then girlfriends and never run out of love and didn't know i had it huh and they managed not to include tell me everything i mean if you're going to release the whole album as a single why not that one I I don't know what they mean by singles. Maybe Me neither, just because maybe the, just they sent them to radio. It could be, but there, I don't think there were ever actual. There definitely weren't physical singles, right? Right. For those, yeah. at least those last three. I don't yeah. know if there were any physical. I guess there was a single for you all. I want to do if Crybaby was a B side. Um, they it, might have tried to push those songs to radio. And yeah, and there you go. They didn't push Tell Me Everything to radio, which... Uh, which was a mistake. In April 9th, 1994, issue of Billboard magazine, a review of the album stated, This veteran band has always worked best when it's worked without a net, turning out slightly loose and loopy songs cut through a frenetic rock edge. Monster, with the expected mix of sub- 
pleasantly rocking power ballads, Never Run Out of Love, You're All I Want to Do, and the catchy Tell Me Everything, and pounding stompers like my gang isn't the band at its best, but there are flashes of that earlier stage in Woke Up With a Monster and the sexy little romp, Ride the Pony. That guy's an idiot. Sexy yes. little romp. You're All I Want to Do isn't the band at its best, he said. So. Well, he's a Jago. Strongly disagree with all How of does that, Ride the Pony sound like the earlier edge? It's the Crazy. sexy little romp. Ugh. I wouldn't want I anything that I've ever written to be called Who a sexy wrote that? Romp. I don't <laughs> Some know. Some douchebag at Billboard magazine. Ugh. For the most part, though, I was looking at the reviews that are posted on the Wikipedia, from, and for the most part, it got pretty good reviews. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And in the December 24th, 1994 issue of Billboard, the song was mentioned in the Critics' Choice section, where the magazine editors and writers oh, chose Oh, now their... it's a Critics' Choice? He yep. trashed it? Now it's well, a Critics' Choice? Yeah, but this is the Critics' Choice, plural, not one not one dim bulb. It could be several dim bulbs. I mean, several people. When the, writer, when the magazine editors and writers chose their top ten records, videos, and live concerts of 1994, Ed Chrisman, the magazine senior retail editor, listed the album as one of his top ten albums for that year. So, suck on that. Can, I just, uh, can I just reiterate how much I disagree with what's written on Wikipedia, where it says... The style of the music is more on the grunge side. That's which, is why I have a problem with reading Wikipedia yeah. about well, to me, the, an the, album. The band should be commended, in my opinion, for not trying to be alternative. And yet here you have on Wikipedia some idiot saying they're on the grunge side. And then they say Ted Templeman's much-criticized heavy-handed production, which I've never heard his production criticized, <sighs> and it's not heavy-handed. Yeah. I mean, I think the album should, maybe should have even been more produced. It's pretty basic production. There's not a lot going on. People who write on Wikipedia are morons. Do you know that I have a Wikipedia page and it's all bullshit? Yeah. Somebody well, wrote... I just To me, the, this stuff on Wikipedia couldn't be more wrong. And it drives me nuts. And I, like I said, I tried to edit it this morning, but obviously my edits aren't there, so I don't really know how that works. But Maybe it just takes time, my friend. Oh, that word grunge is there on the page. Drives me nuts. Wikipedia is not the be-all, end-all of facts. No, no, but it's just fucking annoying. (laughs) Who wrote that, and why do they get to write that? It's just morons. Doesn't it tell you who who edited it? I don't think so. I don't really know that much about Wikipedia. Otherwise, there'd be, like, torches. I was surprised I remembered my password to log in when I tried to, to edit. Oh, I have new messages. There Uh-oh. you go. We denied your edit. Or who the hell are you? <laughs> All right, your so edit, what is everybody... Your, your edits on Woke Up With The Monster have been reverted by Cluebot NG. There you go. What's Cluebot? Well, the great Cluebot. <laughs> they the reverted. They did, they did some fact-checking, BJ, and you're wrong. <laughs> it is grunge. <laughs> you have been found wanting. We uh. deny your edit. This is a grunge album. You. The guy from the guy from uh, you're, you're uh, right. I I didn't have any sources to back me up that it's not grunge. Yeah, the guy from Billboard is now the editor of of Wikipedia. <laughs> works Wikipedia. And well, right. at least someone's Ted reading Ted Templeman's much criticized heavy-handed production. Yeah, what the fuck? who criticized and name two criti- name two critiques. And how is it heavy-handed? I don't get it. What know. does heavy-handed mean? These things leave us scratching our heads. Wikipedia heavy-handed. And see, all right. 
<laughs> the important thing is we love this album. And it's, despite yes. its flaws, it's... It's, it's a, a very a, strong album. It's a very Extremely strong. underrated, in my opinion. Extremely yeah. underrated. And if you listen and you like uh, the Cheap Trick 97 album, I think you need to give this one another chance. I don't think it's far removed. I'm going to say I think this album was cursed with an unfortunate cover... The new logo was a terrible choice, and just uh, 1994. I just think was it was just a really with, odd time. For, for, it for it was cursed with A and R guys who did not give a crap, a record yeah. label who just flat out didn't care. That's what it was cursed with. And, and again, well, you know, Red back, then, back then, uh, uh, Neil Young was getting all this attention as like the godfather of grunge. But you know, what band more than cheap? What classic 70s band deserved? like a place in that time period more than Cheap Trick, but, you know, it was 1994, and they just weren't going to... No matter what they put out, it probably wasn't going to get any attention, but... It doesn't matter. Well, it doesn't I, I matter. sometimes it's a good think album, that, sure that uh, Cheap Trick is cursed because they're Cheap Trick. Meaning yeah, that... Yeah, we should all be so cursed. <clears throat> yeah, but what I'm saying is, like, if, you know, there's a lot of bands that just get love that that Cheap Trick is just as good as, and, and I don't understand it. Well, every every band that was selling a lot of records in 1994, every single rock band that was selling a lot of records in 1994 would have said Cheap Trick were one of the best rock bands ever. Absolutely. I would say almost all of them would have. You and you. 
have an ID from Rick Nielsen where I met him at Macworld. The Rock and Roll Geek Show. This is Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick, and I'm a rock and roll geek. Again, if you have not given this album a fair shake, spin it again. And if you don't own it, find it. It's worth having. Don't be an ass. It is money well spent. It's like I said, 99 cents well spent. Yeah. You will not regret it. Do it, do it, do it. All right, well, we thank you for listening to this episode of Cheap Talk. We invite you to let us know what you think of our ramblings, our psychotic ramblings of the three med men here. And we'll just have some fun uh, reading what you have to say. Let us know what you think. And uh, soon we'll be starting our own feed for the show. So we'll be stepping out of podcast land soon. So, And you can get Welcome with the Monster on Amazon for one cent plus shipping. Not a bad four thing bucks, to do. Four bucks with shipping. There's a bunch of them on there. So you can get it for dirt cheap on Amazon. Do it today. What are you waiting for? All right, well, thank you guys for uh, being part of the show today, and we will catch you on the next episode. And that's our show. Trick Chat is an online nonprofit audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to Cheap Trick or any of their members past or present. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes to buy it. If you enjoyed this show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying keep cheap trickin'. I prefer to listen to cheap trick.